Welcome to the Tote the Note podcast hosted by Jim Rhodes, founder and head coach at the Octane Group. Join us while we dive into the questions that matter most to buy here, pay here operators in the world of subprime auto finance. This episode is brought to you by our friends at NEO. And now, here's your host, Jim Rhodes. Welcome again, everyone, to the Tote the Note podcast. We're fortunate enough today to have uh, Brent Carmichael and Ken Shilson with us. I'm Jim Rhodes with the Octane Group, your host for today and uh, head coach of the Octane Group. We are um, excited to have a chance to take on some solutions around Blue Sky. For those of you who missed it, you're going to want to find episode number one in this um, of three, where we talk about blue sky and buy here, pay here. In the first episode, we talked about kind of framing the problem, making sure we all understand kind of what the challenges are around um, translating or transferring any blue sky value to a, to a would-be buyer in, in this space. Now, as we move into uh, kind of the, um, the solution side of this, uh, we'll we'll have a chance to talk about ways to maybe begin to create value, which is a big um, kind of a big driver and source of motivation for me. So to introduce our our folks here, uh, Brent Carmichael is with NCM. He's been in the car business since '89. He's been a 20 group moderator for 14 years. He manages uh, or moderates nine uh, buy here pay here groups. So he's a he's a, a a, a highly skilled cat herder is what I hear from that, right? So, yeah, yeah. So that's an important job, and keeping car dealers together is an important thing. But uh, Brent, you want to tell us a little bit about what you have coming up? I know you've got a, an event on April fourth in Texas. You want to share about with our audience what that is? Uh, yeah, very fortunate uh, to work with TIADA in conjunction with TIADA. We're going to do a one-day uh, shop reconditioning uh, center for buy here, pay here, uh, one-day seminar on how to uh, to run an effective shop or right. And also for those that want to sub out all of their recon, how to effectively do that as well. So just a, sure. a one day seminar on getting better at shop management in general. And I might uh, throw in a quick plug for NCM. I, I find that they're not out there in the same social circles or marketing themselves in the same way. So I would say my understanding about NCM is they kind of they're the ones who pioneered the whole 20 group process What back in the 50s. Am I right? Uh, 1947 was our yeah. very first 20 group, a Ford group, which right. that group is actually, there's three members of the current group that are our legacy of that group. So, wow. so we still have that Ford group together. It's uh, group 2001, yeah. 2001, and yeah, they are still together today. So we've so, been doing 20 groups for a few years, yes. Sir. And so you do 20 groups even outside the automotive business, I think NCM does, right? Uh, we do. I'm one of uh, two moderators that handle non-automotive stuff. So I do a uh, Bobcat compact equipment group. I've got a uh, motor coach group, bus, big bus operator groups. We've got uh, Culligan Water, Harley Davidson. We've uh, we're nice. a little diversified, but a core of what we do, obviously, is automotive. Of course. And uh, so I just want to make sure people know NCM has been doing this for a very long time. They've got this process down uh, well. And so they know a thing or two about 20 groups. And then Ken Shilson, I said in the other episode, and I want to say again that I know nobody in our industry that's done more for standardization and really to kind of congeal this industry than Ken Shilson has. And I first met Ken, I think in 2001, we decided, and I've been fortunate enough to follow, you know, through NABD. And, and watch what happens there. So Ken is out there, you know, doing the good work. And he he certainly works with a lot of, uh, uh, I, I would call them kind of uh, high-end clients. They're uh, more established, uh, larger clients through in his position and working as a CPA and, uh, and financial professional. 
Uh, it looks like Ken might have dropped off. He's coming back in now. So I'll uh, admit him and we'll we talk about him. But it would be nice to invite him to the conversation. So um, so we'll, we'll give him a minute to get reconnected. But like I said, Ken is somebody that I had a chance to tell Ken in person. And now I get a chance to do it again to say that I just know nobody who's done more for our industry in the last 20 years you know, than, than Ken has. And so we're fortunate to have Ken join us. And uh, so, so Ken, let's start with you. I know you said you read it. You wrote an article that's going to uh, NIADA be published in the upcoming months, and it kind of speaks to this issue of blue sky. And so let's talk about your article and let's talk about some of the solutions that you foresee. Good. Thanks, Jim, very much. And uh, yes, in the uh, upcoming issue of BHPH Dealer Magazine by NIADA, I, I wrote an article, contributed an article called Maximizing BHPH Dealership Value maximizing the value and it's it runs to what we've been talking about <clears throat> here today <clears throat> today about why there's not blue sky the way there is in the in the uh, franchise business or a premium over <clears throat> what um, you know what what the liquidation value of the company is and I, I think a couple of things that I want to point out uh, infrastructure and technology, are extremely important to a buyer, extremely important. And often a dealer, when he's selecting a system and building his infrastructure, thinks about today and not looks to tomorrow. So he's built, he selected a, a, a DMS system that meets his current needs and probably is priced most effectively because cost is always something that's very important to him but it may not be scalable. It may not provide the long-term solutions that a buyer might be looking for. So it's so important when you, when you uh, make your technology selections that you look to not only the current time, but in your current needs, but also to the future. That's also true with your infrastructure. If you're a smaller operation and you have limited separation of duties, is it going to be possible for a buyer to take that business over and scale it up with that existing infrastructure? If not, if not, and he has to replace it, then you've lost a lot of the perceived value that's in the transaction. So that causes a diminishment as well. So uh, infrastructure and technology are extremely important. Mentioned earlier, you've got to get your financial statements and historical metrics built and in, 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 in for people to know what your policies are in generating those so that a buyer can use that information to perhaps leverage the acquisition or to model what's likely to happen in the future. Those things are going to be very, very necessary. In looking at the business model, is the business model going to line up with what a buyer looks for? In other words, maybe it works for the seller currently, but is it the business model that's going to be scalable upward in the future? So think about these things before you get into discussions with a prospective buyer. Come up with good answers and good information so that they have a positive perception of, of the business and it becomes uh, a, a higher priced uh, type transaction. Those are some of the things I think. Uh, Very good. 
So I'm also, by the way, speaking at TIADA in July, and we'll be speaking to folks that are new in the business. And we're going to really suggest to them it's never too early to start thinking about the value of your business and what an exit might look like. And so we, we know that from the very earliest stages, it's time to think about that. Brent, you and I got in the business. You started to buy here, pay here in, in uh, 89. For me, it was 97 as a manager back in those days. We didn't have the great technology that we have now. You know, software was pretty limited. We certainly didn't have GPS technology. So when I look at all those things, and to Ken's point, you know, when we think about today's technology, we've got these great DMS systems out there that are very scalable, you know, very capable. I told dealers, here's, here's a system that you wouldn't outgrow, right? And then you've also got wonderful underwriting tools that we didn't have back then. You've got, uh, you know, like I say, GPS and some other ancillary kind of things. So. What are your feelings, Brent, about what's different now? What what can we do to create value in these buy here, pay here operations? Well, first of all, I didn't even, I don't even think we could spell technology back um, when I got in the business. Right. And unfortunately, there wasn't a Ken Shilson or an NABD at that time to let us know what we were doing right or wrong, either one. So, you know, the one thing that unfortunately, I think for all of buy here, pay here is we've always been about 10 years behind technology yeah. for whatever reason. And there are some great DMSs out there right now, but if you take a look at some of the stuff that is available for um, just standalone finance companies or car dealerships, we're still lacking a little bit there. Um, but uh, again, to Ken's point, if somebody's going to come in and you're wanting to think about selling your business, we can't run off of Excel spreadsheets anymore. Sure. Um, we've got to have the at least the latest technology, maybe not necessarily the greatest technology, um, but there are so many things out there now. It's kind of one of those, if we had now, if we'd have had back then what we have now, I might still be working for a living. Yeah. Um, but we don't, you know, we didn't have a lot of access to this. We didn't have softwares that I could be on my iPad anywhere in the country and be able to access data automatically. I had to dial into a server. And so there's a technology's come a long way. Um, for everything, whether it be payment devices or GPS, I mean, or uh, or DMSs, CRMs. Um, Jim, you can remember our first CRMs were like a three by five note card file, right? The little metal card file that we would lift open. And how many sales did we miss with that? Um, and but but again, back to Ken's point that technology is a key. Not only having it, but making sure that you are using it the way it should be used. Just because I have the latest and greatest. And maybe not using them to their full impact could be something that you want to make sure that you're doing as well. But, but yeah, technology is, is better than it's ever been in buy here, pay here. I would still personally like to see it maybe get into the 21st century if possible. Um, I think we're still in the 20th century a little bit. I see Ken nodding his head a little bit there as well. Still have a lot of non-integrated accounting softwares where it could take out some of the human error and get better data with some of that. Um, again, think the DMSs can do a little bit more to provide better data um, without having to dump it into Excel and sort and try to find some things. So um, I don't think we're quite there yet, but yes, compared to, um, yeah, where we literally operated off of ledger cards when I got in the business, the only thing we had a computer for was to print a receipt to where we are now, leaps and bounds. But again, just having it and not using it is more the key than anything else. Right. And so what I'm hearing you say, you, you agree that can be one piece of creating value oh, uh, in this kind of operation. Yeah. So I also met a dealer uh, not long ago who shared with me that they wanted to set up their business in a way that a five-year-old could run it. And I thought, well, that's probably a bit of an exaggeration. But the point he's trying to make is that he wants to make his business in a way that he could hand over 
the booklet, so to speak, or whatever his playbook might be and have somebody come in and run that business. So that is a big step. I mean, that mentality alone is my mind is a big step toward creating a business that would have some transferable value. Right. So, so for me, and that's what my article was. I mentioned in the last episode that I wrote an article in, that appeared in the same BHPH dealer magazine that Ken's talking about. This was in April of 2020 called Could You Sell? And in, in which case I referred to an owner's manual, which is kind of, you know, this, this playbook. You know, how, how could I have, hand my playbook to somebody else and expect them to run this business and have the same results? So first we do it not so much thinking about exit, but thinking about our ability to run the business and our ability to be away on vacation for two weeks you know, and not have the business fall apart. So that's where we start, why we start with systems and processes like that. But uh, what what would you add, Brent? Like, what do you think would be, and I should probably explain to our viewers and listeners, Ken, unfortunately, is dealing with some inclement weather in South Texas, so he's kind of having trouble dropping in and out. But uh, we'll, if we lose you, Ken, just get back in when you can. Sure. But, uh, Brent, you yeah, might sure. just uh, express that. Uh, tell me what else you might think would be a couple things. If you're chatting with a dealer at a conference and they ask, how can I create value? You know, we covered the software and technology side. What would be some other examples you might give? Well, and Ken mentioned it as well. I think infrastructure and my experience with these has been that there's kind of two kinds of buyers. And this goes back to when we sold our dealerships as well. There's a financial buyer and there's a strategic buyer. A financial buyer wants to buy a business and leave it as it is. I'm just going to be the money and I'm going to help grow it. And we're going to you know, develop that business. And, and we've come across some strategic buyers that, hey, I want to come in and I do want to run the business or we may make some changes. So, you know, as you make the decision that you want to decide to sell your business, to, to Ken's earlier point, you kind of got to decide what, what am I set up to do? Do I have process procedures? Do I have the infrastructure? Do I have the technology that I can attract a financial buyer? which in my opinion, I think gives you a higher return because it is a turnkey. I'm buying the business, it runs itself, here it is. I'm just gonna be the money guy and it goes on its own. Or, and again, nothing wrong with either one, don't get me wrong. If your business is a smaller mom and pop where it has to be more of a strategic buy where if it is bought out, key managers leave and I've got to bring people in. I just think you have to determine that ahead of time. What stuck out to me the most when we sold our business was is that Steven said the reason that we were so successful in that cell was because of our infrastructure, not necessarily technology, but people more than anything else. Uh, Ken mentioned it earlier. You know, we didn't have somebody wearing seven different hats within the operation. Everybody had a defined role. And if that role was gone, then there was somebody that could take their place. It's a big mistake I see currently with dealers that are even just trying to expand their business is is they're not developing and i hate to use cliches like bench strength or something along those lines but they're not developing that they don't have that next person ready to go so you know if we do want to scale it up i don't have a current manager that i can promote or a current employee i can promote to a management level position to help me expand i'm either going to have to go outside the operation or going to be you know delayed in being able to to fill a position so you know outside of technology I, i would say the second thing is your people infrastructure more than anything else, kind of really needs to be tight. I mean, like I said, I can't have Ken or you, Jim, be my underwriter and in charge of my collections and also be my inventory and my buyer guy because that's too many hats to wear at that point. If I'm going to buy your business and you're wearing seven hats, okay, I'm going to haircut that a little bit because I'm going to have to find somebody to take over some of those roles for me to be able to grow the business. Not to mention they walk away potentially with too much of that information under those seven hats you know, too much of it's here and not, you know, in written material. And so obviously that's, that makes it hard for us to continue our business. Go ahead. Jim. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, I, I just wanted to comment that I, I couldn't agree more. It, today, to run a successful buy your pay your business is more challenging than it's ever been. And you need training and education like you're providing, Jim, like the 20 group experience that you're providing, Brent. You've got to develop your people. You've got to develop some depth. You can't go out in the market and just hire somebody off the street and expect to plug them back in. So one of the things I bring out in my article is, is not only that you develop key employees, but you train them so that they really enjoy and feel like they're growing in the business and stay with it. So a buyer doesn't perceive that the key employees are all going to leave when the owner sells. And right. if there's no job gratification or satisfaction, that's exactly what's going to happen. Right. The second thing I would say is that a, a buyer payer dealer builds valuable contacts as he grows his business. Where does he get his reconditioning done? Where does his repair work get done? What, what other contacts does he develop? Are those contacts going to be transferable? Are, is a buyer going to be able to use those things? Does he even want to use those things? So again, it's about thinking about systems that survive the future as well as today and get the training you need to get it done right. I couldn't agree with you guys more about the import of those two things. Sounds like we're doing something right, Brent. So, Well, I was going to say the toughest lesson I learned through all of this as a vice president of the company was um, my value was, is I didn't have to do anything. And that's, I mean, we grow up being a manager that I know I need to be involved in everything. I have to know how to do everything. And actually what made us more valuable is our upper level managers. If we were gone for two weeks or three weeks, it didn't matter. So, um, which again, kind of hurts the ego a little bit, right? When you're a managing a business it's like, wait a minute, my value is, is that I'm not important? No, your value is the more people you develop to take care of the day to day. And right. again, not a cliche guy, but upper level management should be working on the business and not in the business. And that's what helps value your business if somebody's coming in to look at it. Yeah. You know, I would never want to buy a business and go, okay, the day I buy it, Jim, I buy your business. Now I've got to come in and work five days a week, 12 hours a day to get this thing to operate. And if I'm going to have to do that, then it's obviously going to be reflected in my offer to you if I've got to do that. Understood. That's uh, that's really great. I'm glad you threw that in about working on your business because we see too much of that as well. Dealers, you know, are too tied to the building, and uh, and so that's that's really a question of management. So I want to recap, you know, when and I want to kind of give a definition for our viewers and listeners. When you think infrastructure, what I'm hearing you kind of include in that would be software, policies and procedures, and then probably an organizational structure that would include job descriptions and pay plans for those people. And, and, you know, it's, pay plans are challenging in our space, right? I mean, you got all this crossover from department to department. It's, it's tricky in our line of work. But, but is there anything else that you might lump? And I'll let you go first, Brent. Anything else you might lump into infrastructure besides those things I just listed? No, I think that pretty much covers it. Um, you know, this is where you get, because you've been mentioning in, in our last podcast about, you know, a business of $10 million size, which is about our average dealer currently. A lot of that stuff you would automatically assume is there. Now, you know, the smaller dealers, the mom and pops, a lot of them don't have this stuff. So again, is it really worth their time and effort to try to sell the business or is it really better for them to, you know, sell right. and go fishing kind of thing? But um, no, and Ken mentioned a great one, which I, I hadn't even thought about at the time. It's those outside relationships that you do have 
not necessarily directly to vendors, but even to vendors to a certain extent. And will that carry on in, in there as well? So, yeah, I mean, the, the software, the people, uh, process and procedures, which everybody hates hearing about, yeah. uh, but are very important. And again, I, what I, I'll kind of refer back to your uh, to your poll. If anybody was going to buy one, it wasn't the top thing. But yes, the, the first things they're going to take off is triage. These are the three most important things. But yeah, when it comes down to making the actual offer, do you even have PMP in place? And if you don't, then obviously it's going to affect the value of the business at that point, because now I have to write them job descriptions. Um, obviously, definitely a must to have in their organizational charts. And I know some that are going to be listening are going, I've got six employees, Brent. What do I need an org chart for? What do I need process and pre procedure? Everybody knows what to do. That is true now. But if you yeah. are going to go to market with your business, you probably do want to get a little bit more formalized with those. Yeah, that's very good. Go ahead, Jim. Jim. Can, can I add one thing to what I certainly agree with everything you guys have said, but I, I just want to emphasize is something I'm heavily involved in right now is having a compliance management system. Right. And let me say the CFPB is going to be looking under the hoods of the buy your pay here industry very closely over the next 18 months or so. The, the, the changes that have taken place in the CFPB mean that they are going to be, along with the state AGs, looking closely at our industry. And nothing kills a prospective sale quicker than having legal regulatory issues or uh, contracts that are not legally compliant, that haven't been vetted. Uh, so these are absolutely critical things that dealers need to do, whether they're selling their, their, their business or not, just staying in the business. You have to have a written underwriting policies and procedures. You have to have written collection policies and procedures to have a compliance management system. And you have to be auditing it to make sure that the people are actually doing it. You can't just talk the talk. You have to walk the walk. So right. I just wanted to add that thing because I think it's so important that dealers address that. Yeah, we do see. Go ahead, Brent. Not directly. I mean, the FTC new safeguards, right? I mean, right. to your point, Ken, I mean, something right. that's, you know, got to be adhered to by October. And I mean, it is pretty, pretty ambiguous to a certain extent, but also pretty intense. And so, again, something you'd have to have in place. And I hate to say it, we're talking about things to sell your business, but like to Ken's point, we should kind of already have all of this stuff, right? right. I mean, just in day to day business. So you never should have to go back and build this to get ready. So even for the dealers out there that aren't even in the market or don't even think they want to sell, sure. still good. You know, you get tired of us hearing it in the industry, but PNP compliance, those are the keys. You know, it's a very good point. So I think um, that's probably a good place for us to wrap up here. I think, you know, we have um, a third session on this subject of blue sky and we'll be inviting, <clears throat> excuse me, Mark Burkholder to join us. Mark goes with Peachtree Peach Tree Planning and does a lot of work in succession planning. So we look forward to having uh, Mark talked to us about how a handoff might look, whether that's a family, friend or family member, uh, that kind of a transaction. We see, uh, you know, that kind of thing happening. So in that episode, we'll dive into that. In the meantime, I appreciate the contributions you guys have made to this conversation. I think there are some meaningful things there. Uh, certainly one other quick thought on this deal is um, 
as it relates to structure, you know, one of the things we're also seeing on the marketing and, and uh, kind of lead management side, there's also some great technology out there. But if I were to acquire somebody's business, I'd also want to kind of understand how the sales and marketing funnel works. It's another piece of how, how can I continue, expect to be able to continue to feed uh, you know, uh, business, because that's something we see a lot of dealers struggling with to figure out the marketing component of this business and keep traffic flowing. So that's one more piece that just popped into my head. But these are things that, you know, they're solvable problems. And if a dealer really is going to build their business in a way that they look to have a, what I call translatable or transferable value, then, you know, I hope we've given them some real solutions for how you begin to do that. And so, again, we appreciate you guys uh, uh, joining and you, you know how to find uh, Brent. Brent is at uh, ncm20.com. It's Brent. Is it Brent at ncm20, your email? No, it's bcarmichael at okay. ncm20.com. Okay. And Ken, how can they reach you? Uh, two places. Uh, my website is www.subanalytics.com. Subanalytics.com. There's a wealth of information on there about metrics and other in capital providers. Uh, and then the second place is my email is ken at kenshilson.com. K-E-N at kenshilson.com. Very good. We appreciate that. And uh, so again, we'll uh, we'll have a third session. We appreciate uh you folks joining in and, and uh, Brent and Ken, thank you again for contributing to the conversation and will and join us over there. Follow us, subscribe uh, to our channel on YouTube so you can find these releases uh, as early as possible. And uh, you can also find these on uh, your uh, your favorite podcast channel. So again, thank you so much. Until the next time we reconvene for the Tote the Note. Thanks from uh, Clearwater, Florida. Thanks for joining us. Please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe to Tote the Note. And thanks again to our sponsor, Neo. Find them at neoverify.com. Until next time.